Bailey Clemens was murdered on June 14, 2014, and this is her sister's story. Mourning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. Ozark, Missouri is in the United States. The first settler there is believed to have been Henry Schoolcraft in 1818. During that time, he studied the geological makeup of the area and noted the high concentration of lead and zinc. Schoolcraft also noted the abundance of elk, bear, and other wildlife in the area. People from the surrounding areas used this as a hunting ground until finally the elk were hunted to extinction in the 1880s. 15 miles northwest of Ozark is the site of two Civil War firsts, the death of the first Union general and the first major battle west of the Mississippi. A self-guided car tour stops at significant sites at the battlefield, and the bed where General Nathaniel Lyon was laid is on display at the Ray House, a field hospital during the battle. Ozark has become a popular place for people to live, and in 2012 was reported as being the fastest growing city in Missouri. Ozark's Chamber of Commerce calls themselves the antique capital of the world, so certainly a place to go for those that love antiquing. There is an antique mall there that is open year-round that houses 275 vendors. There is also plenty to do outdoors while in Ozark. Anything from walking, jogging, cycling, and horseback riding. Something that Bailey loved to do. Hello. Hi, it's Kelly calling from Morning the Murdered podcast. Hey, how are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm doing good, thank you. Tell me about your relationship with your sister. What was, what was it like? Uh, so Bailey actually came into my life when I was 11. Uh, she was 13. Uh, her dad married my mom. Um, they did, her and her biological sister did live with us um, full time. So we were more sisters than stepsisters. Um, we grew up together from 11, you know, me being 11 on. Um, and our dad would always joke um, that she was in charge from the day she was born. And that was totally daily. Um, she made her own rules and lived by them. And that was her. Um, she was always happy, uh, adventurous. She had no problem telling you what she thought. You never wondered what she thought. Um, she was so smart. She loved horses and camping, just being around her friends and family. She was just a happy person. Everybody loved her. She liked to shoot guns, do bonfires, uh, spend time with her kids. Uh, they enjoyed doing lots of different things together. She was the kind of student that she didn't have to study, and she would make good grades. Um, for a while, uh, if I remember right, she wanted to be or talked about wanting to be a veterinarian, and she could have done it 
would have been amazing at it. Um, and I wish she had followed that, that dream of hers. But she's a very, very good student, very smart. Had lots of friends. Oh, nice. And, and she loved horses, you said. Did she get to ride them often or she just uh, loved them from afar? She did. So her mother uh, had horses, had experience in that kind of thing. And that was something that she liked to do with her mom as well. She came home from a weekend with her mom and she had a broken collarbone. She was um, something the horse got spooked and trampled on her and broke her collarbone. She didn't bother her at all. She would have ridden with a broken collarbone if she could. Bailey was a wonderful daughter, sister, and mother. She had three children. Her eldest son was from a previous relationship and was 11 years old. Bailey then had two other children with her husband, a boy, age nine, and then a daughter who was only six years old. Bailey loved her children very much and had a very good relationship with them. Her eldest son still says that his mother was his best friend. The children all say that they knew their mother always had their back, and they all know how much she loved them. They would do all kinds of fun things together, from playing outdoors to playing video games. Bailey was up for anything when it came to her children. She tried so hard to ensure their happiness. Sadly, her daughter was six when the tragedy that has not only shaken this family, but the town that Bailey is from. And this young girl doesn't have all of the memories that her older brothers have. She is always reminded of her mother through stories that her grandparents, brothers, and aunts share with her. However, it is so very sad that this poor wee little girl had to have her mother ripped away from her. This story is very tragic what the children had to live through during their lives, and devastatingly over the few days back in 2014, is hard to listen to. It will be incomprehensible to all of us how a father could go as far as he did to try and hide the fact that he killed Bailey, his wife, and the mother of his children. This is the story of Bailey Clemens' murder. Bailey's teen years had her growing up in a blended family that seemed to know how to make things work. Well, let me say that Bailey seemed to have the personality that was well-suited for conflict resolution within the family home. She would always try to make sure that everyone was getting along. When this family came together, there were three girls. The eldest was 15 and then Bailey, who was 13. They were biological sisters. Jenny, the sister who will be telling today's story, was 11 years old when the girls became a family. Jenny had been an only child up until this point in her life and was used to having all of the attention. She is so thankful, though, that Bailey was there to mend fences when needed. She is the one that made them sisters, bringing them together, encouraging them all to hang out together, not only at home, but with their friends as well. Bailey brought Jenny and the eldest sister together, making them very close. Bailey was one of those people that lived life to the fullest. She had a distinct personality that made her stand out in their home. An avid horse lover, she spent hours out riding. 
the thrill of the outdoors. Her and her horse out there racing through the open air gave her such excitement. And Bailey was afraid of nothing when it came to adventure. She was tough, and not very much stood in her way when it came to her passions. And what was all of your dynamic like in your house with three teenage girls? It <laughs> must have been interesting. Three teenage girls who just got thrown in together, one of which was an only child and never had to share her mom. Um, so it was very interesting, uh, very colorful at some times. Uh, but overall, uh, it, was, it was good. You know, I've, I always said, oh, I'd be okay if I didn't have siblings. It's fine. Now that I have siblings, I'm like, man, I couldn't imagine not having them. Um, Bailey is actually one of the main reasons Tashia and I uh, became so close. Her and I really struggled for a while. But but Bailey, Bailey was, brought you uh, together. Oh, yes. Yes, she did. Although Bailey had a strong personality and knew what she wanted, never shying away from saying what was on her mind, people couldn't help but love her. She was someone that people were naturally drawn to. Someone that made friends easily. Bailey moved through life with relative ease, being smart, school was a breeze, and always finding things to do, she was never bored. Her adventurous personality made trying new things not only so easy for her, but it came naturally to the spirited young woman. As Bailey went through high school, her family knew that she could be anything that she wanted. Once she set her mind to something, it would happen. Her fun-loving personality and outgoing ways made people want to be with this beautiful young girl. So naturally, Bailey met someone, and their relationship progressed quickly. Bailey learned she was pregnant. She was thrilled to become a mother for the first time and adored this boy that blessed her life. Motherhood seemed to come as naturally to Bailey as everything else did in her life. And this perfect little bundle of love immediately became Bailey's number one. They would do everything together, enjoying each other's company. Bailey was the type of mom that played and went on adventures. She spent time with her son and enjoyed seeing joy on his precious little face. She knew she would love this little boy forever and dreamed of all the fun they would have. She was so excited to watch him grow see who he would become, what he would love doing. Her relationship with this boy's father dissolved, but that didn't prevent Bailey from living. She and her son would get through this. Bailey's strength would not deter her from giving her son a good life. And then she met her future husband. Tell us about the relationship Bailey had with her husband and how your family felt about him in the beginning. So she was, she got pregnant with Caden. Her and his father were not together very long at all. Caden was still a baby when she met Aaron. So she met him sometime between 2003 and 2004. Um, you know, at first, I'm not sure we thought anything bad about him. I mean, they were pretty young still at the time. So maybe if he didn't have a good job or something like that, I'm not really sure we thought much about that in the beginning. Um, it did show that pattern over time. Um, they were together 10 years total. But in the beginning, um, he actually kind of hung out around our friend circle. Um, so, of course, I always tagged along. You know, I was the little, I was the cool little sister that got to go everywhere with her. So, 
he kind of hung out in the friend circle, so we knew him, and I'm not sure we really saw anything negative at first. And how did their relationship develop? Did, was there a time when you sort of thought, uh, oh, this is not a good relationship? So actually, she, Gannon was born in March of 2005. Uh, so at some point, once she got pregnant, I, I vividly remember the, or the first time I remember there being some type of incident, Gannon was born. She was holding Gannon. I remember that, and he threw something at her, a phone or something, and hit her in the nose. And I remember her saying, while I was holding his son, basically. So Gannon was born. Um, so probably somewhere between 2005 and 2006 is the first incident I can remember of something going on. Oh, my goodness. And, of course, it was the normal. He promised he wouldn't do it again. You know, we just had this baby. We just got this apartment together. The typical reasons um, that make it more difficult to get out of that situation right away. So, so in 2007, Emma was born. Um, so then they had their three children there. Um, in, it was either in 2009 or 2010. Um, he had finally gotten arrested for domestic violence. Um, she had finally taken the steps to contact the police and, and get charges pressed against him. And, and part of the conviction or part of his sentence was he was ordered to take a 16-week batterer intervention program. He did complete the program. We were all so, so hopeful that, you know, maybe this is what he needs. This is, you know, it's proven to work. They wouldn't court order it. Maybe this is what we need. Um, so come to find out now, now we know, um, that when she would say things were better or things were fine that they weren't, um, I don't want to say we were naive to that. I think we were very well aware that there was still some emotional or, or verbal psychological abuse, abusive behavior going on. I think we were very hopeful it wasn't physical. Um, we had all reached out to her and gave her resources. Um, actually at the time, worked for the domestic violence shelter in the county they lived in. You know, I was able to give her resources, and, and all you can do is encourage them to leave, be positive, give them positivity, but you can't force them, you know? Um, and we really struggled with that. So I know it sounds maybe odd to say we were just hopeful it wasn't physical, but you can't make someone leave. So you can only hope for the best. You can only pray and be positive, you know? I guess it was around 2012 is when Bailey, Aaron, and the children moved into a home uh, that our parents owned, and they were renting it from them. Um, and around that same time, Bailey started working at the Lowe's there in Ozark, Missouri. And she loved her job. She loved her coworkers. Um, she always looked forward go to going to work. She really, really did like it. Um, and Aaron would kind of bounce around job to job, nothing really stable. Um, like I said, we kind of were oblivious to how bad it really must have been at this point. Um, but leading up to the incident, that's kind of where we were. As Bailey's husband went to the court-ordered courses, Bailey's family had no reason to believe that he hadn't learned and grown from the course. These courses are provided to men that are abusive. The courage it takes for a woman to seek help is incredible. The potential backlash that can occur when you report your abusive partner can be devastating. Bailey's spunk and determination to give her children the life they deserved, one free of abuse in the household, 
one where they could go to bed at night and not fear for their mother's well-being. Reaching out to the authorities was undeniably an extremely brave thing to do. The fear she was experiencing from the man she loved had to have been beyond belief knowing now what her husband was capable of. She knew. As these courses were court-ordered and there had been good results with others, the family were hopeful. Bailey's family were always there for her and tried very hard to be sure she knew that they would do anything to help her. The family had no way of knowing how bad the abuse was. There was no way to force someone to leave their partner. And as loved ones, they all wanted to hope it was better after the court-appointed sessions. Believing in the court system and having faith, praying that everyone was safe. My parents owned a rental home and they just moved in there to rent from them. Okay, so so they were still all living together at this point? Correct. Okay, and so walk us through what happened next then. So Friday, June 13th, Bailey went out with friends. I'm not sure what they did. I don't know any details about that. I just know that Saturday the 14th, she came home in the morning and, and was going to start getting ready for work. She had to work that morning. It's my understanding that he basically met her at the door. He was mad. Uh, Met her at the door, mad she was out all night, and started to beat her in the living room there in front of the kids. At one point, she started bleeding, and she asked one of the children to please go next door and get the neighbor. And it's my understanding Aaron threatened the children, and they then went to their rooms and locked themselves in the room. At that point, he took her to the basement, and he duct-taped her to the pole in the basement, and there was, was around her forehead, her jawline, her arms, her hips, and her ankles. He had taped her to this pole and gagged her. Uh, he'd shoved something in her mouth, and, and there was, when she was found, there was a belt around her neck. We obviously don't know exactly what he did, but... Um, it was evident that it had occurred over hours, uh, basically torturing her, doing whatever for hours. Um, at one point, he went upstairs to get some water, and when he came back downstairs is when he knew she was gone, that she was dead. So he went upstairs. Um, he told the children to pack some clothes, pack some of their things, that they were going to go camping. He said he had taken her to work, and she would meet them there later. Um, but they were going to go camping. So this is Saturday. So that afternoon, they go camping. They go to a campground somewhere in Stone County, about half hour to 45 minutes away from the home. And they camp Saturday night. Sunday, they spend the day at the campsite. He gets everyone in bed on Sunday night. So the two children, everyone in bed on Sunday night. And next thing we know, it's Monday morning. And the 911 calls coming in that there's a house fire at their address. So we are under the assumption that he got everyone, waited for them to go to sleep, and that he went in the morning of the hours, like 3 or 4 a.m., with the intention of getting back to the campsite before the kids woke up. Um, So he would have some type of alibi that he was there with them the whole time. So he left the children at the campsite and went back to the house to start this fire. He did, um, trying to cover up evidence. He did later admit to some things to paramedics and nurses uh, at the hospital that, you know, I was involved in the house fire 
my wife is there, um, and but for a little bit. So I guess I should say Monday that call goes into 911 that the house is on fire. I guess someone was driving by on their way to work an early morning shift of some sort. Um, my mother got a call at work around lunchtime from somebody telling her, hey, your house in Ozark is on fire. So they go down there. They're trying to sort things out. And between talking to firefighters and police and piecing things together, they figure out that people are missing. Where are the people that live in the home? Um, So they figure out Bailey and the kids are nowhere to be found. This is when my mom or my parents find out that Aaron at some point had called 911 because he had burned himself in the fire. So he was badly burned. He was trying to get back to the campsite or back to wherever and had to pull over on the side of the road and called 911. He needed help. Um, so at this point, they knew that where he was, and he had finally told them that he had left the kids at a campsite. They were just, you know, keep in mind, this is the afternoon by now. So we find out that the kids are just somewhere by themselves, six and nine at the time. Um, that evening, we finally were able to track down the children um, through DSS or state custody. The um, children, when they woke up, they kind of walked around, finally found some strangers later that day and told the strangers their dad was gone and they couldn't find him. So they were able to call 911 you know, police officers came out and at that time, Stone County, they were unaware of what was going on over in Christian County. So they took custody of the children until they could kind of sort things out. Thankfully, it was very quick. Um, My niece and nephew only had to spend a day or two with an emergency family um, before they were able to go to our parents. The house was a total loss. He started the fire in the basement where Bailey's body was. The living room that was upstairs collapsed right through into the basement. Bailey's husband finally told the officials that Bailey was in the house, in that basement. And although he did say this to the police, Bailey's family was still holding out hope that she was not down there, in this house that was destroyed by fire, set by the person that was supposed to love and protect Bailey and their children. The house had to cool off before the process of going through the rubble could commence. The horrible search for Bailey. Devastatingly, the family's hopes and prayers were not answered. They did find her remains on Tuesday. Um, There were news stations there, and my parents, we found out that they found her body from the news um, before the sheriff could even make the 20-minute drive to to my parents' house. I think deep down we knew, um, but that was probably the worst part for us was there it is just on the news, (laughs) you know, just didn't feel very respectful at the time, I guess. So the police were able to arrest him right away. Um, And after that, I mean, we knew we did it. Um, It took a few years to kind of proceed through the court system until we finally got a plea deal and he was sentenced and, you know, we were able to put it past us. The um, prosecuting attorney had started out with the case uh, wanting to proceed the death penalty. And, of course, we were very much for it um, as her family. But it also meant that the children would be required to testify. 
that is not something we were comfortable with. Um, at this point, it had been a year or two, and they had made so much progress at that point um, that we did not want to take them back to that place at all, especially in front of him in court. So he did plea and was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole, um, but he has to serve something like 25 or 26 years before he's eligible for parole, and as long as it's denied, he'll stay in prison. So we're very confident it would be denied, um, but we're very, very confident he will die in prison. And, you know, we have um, the prosecuting attorney, and there were officers or detectives that worked um, the case. They all said, as long as we're still alive, we will be at every, every hearing. And, I mean, it really rocked Ozark, Missouri. I mean, Ozark is overall a pretty small, tight-knit little town. This really was shocking. And um, I'm glad that, I mean, the police were absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. The children had always been very involved with their father's family. Bailey was extremely close with her mother-in-law, and they loved each other very much. His parents struggled tremendously with this heinous act their son committed. They asked to please not be cut out of the children's lives because of what their son had done. Now, this must have been such a struggle for Bailey's family. Clearly, it is not a circumstance that anyone is expecting to be in, nor would anyone be the slightest bit prepared for. At first, the thought of visitation with the person who killed their beloved Bailey's family was understandably beyond comprehensible for some of her family. But the children loved their grandparents and wanted to see them. Everyone has come a long way in the past six years. The children chat with their grandparents when they want and they have regular visits with them as well. The kids have a good relationship with them. Bailey's family is clearly very strong and have great compassion to have made this difficult decision. Who do the children live with? They live with our parents. Um, and I do want to clarify, since Caden was a child from a prior relationship, Caden's um, father was able to decide where Caden should live, and he chose for Caden to go live in Colorado uh, with his sister, so with Caden's aunt. Caden's um, dad was actually in prison basically Caden's whole life and has never really been around, um, but due to their parenting plan that still said Levi had some type of legal decision-making rights for Caden, he was allowed to make the decision of where he got to live. So um, very unfortunately, Caden got sent to Colorado. So we still talk to him, write letters. He comes for Christmas. He comes in the summer. He was, he actually just went home last week after being there for two weeks. So, you know, the aunt Caden lives with and our family are in communication, things like that. So while we wish so much that he could be with them full-time, uh, we try to make the best out of the situation that we can. The children all seem to be thriving. Of course, they are still struggling with some things, as is to be expected. The children have all had counseling. Sadly, all these kids knew growing up was chaos. They lived in a house where their mother struggled to see to their safety and security, and her own. 
Unfortunately, her husband's control and abuse was just too much for her to handle. Such sadness and tragedy, this horrible story of domestic violence causes such grief for so many people. Bailey's parents and sisters, her children and extended family, her children who have to grow up trying to process what happened, shattering their childhood, their father in prison having killed their mother. The atrociousness of his actions will be imprinted in their hearts forever. His wicked actions forever being part of Bailey's story Keeping who she was alive and reiterating the lovely memories will help to overpower the devastation. The life she lived, the love she had for her children. Let this be how Bailey is remembered. Bailey's family is strong, empathetic, compassionate, and understanding. With their love and support and hard work, determination, these children will have every possible chance to encourage their development into independent and caring adults. Reminiscing will help them know of the true love their mother had for them, reminding them of the Bailey they all loved and still do. Bailey's parents have been thrown into parenthood roles which they had never contemplated at this stage in their lives. It is important for them that the children see structure and to understand that what they experienced wasn't how people have to live. Their family is trying to break the cycle of abuse. These grandparents deserve such commendation for stepping up to care for two of their grandchildren. The children are very lucky to have this loving family who all love Bailey's three children so much and have proven that they will always be there for them and do anything they can to see to their safety and help them in fulfilling their dreams. And how has your sister's murder affected you? Me personally, um, I had a lot of guilt at first uh, because I, I kept telling myself if anyone could have helped her, it was me because I had experience. I was a victim advocate for quite a few years. I worked at the shelter. Like there was a lot of, I could have helped if anyone could have helped. It was me. Um, I actually went to some counseling myself for that and worked through it and realized, like I said earlier, that, um, there's only so much you can do to help someone. They really have to take that initiative with what you give them. Um, and so all I could do was reassure myself that I know I did what I could to help. It was up to her to do that. Um, and she chose not to, and here we are. And now uh, we run, me and her aunt, run a Facebook page in her name. Uh, we work to raise awareness and pass the message on. And, and now it's affected me in a way of I want to tell everyone about her who will listen because maybe we can save someone else. So tell, tell us a little bit about, you know, the signs of abuse or what people can do to help someone if they think someone's in a relationship that's abusive. So my first two pieces of advice to pe most people asking similar questions are to really reach out and do research about the different types of abuse. It is not just physical abuse. Um, and you will often find women say that they would prefer the physical because that goes away. The mental, verbal 
those types of things don't. Um, some indicators are isolating. They stop texting, calling. They say they can't go out. Um, they, you know, pull away and that that's abnormal for them, that that isn't something they normally do. Um, there's even things to look for like financial abuse. Oh, well, I have to ask so-and-so if I can spend the money. Um, and of course there is the, well, we're married, we need to budget, we're conscious of our money. And then there's controlling that she has no access to money, not allowed to do anything, spend money, um, if that makes sense. And then my second is to reach out to your community and find out what the resources are. If you want to help someone, you need to go to them with a solution. Because It's like, don't come and complain to me if you're not going to help me solve the problem. So if you're able to reach out and say, hey, you know, I've got some counseling information. There's a shelter here that has services. You know, really think about it. There is help out there. You've got support. We love you. You can do this. And just be aware of the resources to give them. Abuse typically will start after some major life event together. You move in together. You get pregnant. Um, you have a baby. You get married. Those those big life events where people will start to think, well, she's not going anywhere now. Remember that people often don't realize they are in an abusive relationship. The abused often believe things will get better. This was the last time their partner will yell or hit. That if they change something or don't do something in particular, things will get better. There are so many reasons that people stay in abusive relationships. And we all have to show empathy and not judge those who stay. We can never fully understand someone else's reasons for not leaving. But if you can help someone get out of a dangerous situation, please try to do so. However, you can only be there for them and encourage them have resources to share, a safe place for them to go if the time comes that they are ready to leave. But ultimately, it can only be their decision. There is great advice given in this podcast by Jenny on how you can show support. And in the show notes, you can find the link to some useful resources for those living in the United States that have been provided by Jenny as well. For those that live elsewhere, you can easily find resources in your area through your favorite search engine. Whether you are in an abusive relationship or know someone who is, counseling may help to bring awareness. It can help someone who is being abused to see the signs in their own relationship they may not have realized were abusive behaviors and perhaps encourage them to seek help on how to get themselves out of their situation. Abusive relationships do escalate and can be life-threatening. And tell us about your Facebook page. What do you do there and uh, what, you know, where can people find it? Sure. So we, the page is called Justice for Bailey. We started it when the incident initially happened. It was a way for us to reach out and update everybody. So many family, friends, um, so many people curious about updates. So we started the page for that where people had one place they could go to find out. And I would update and, and try to kind of break down the legal terms for people that can get kind of confusing. Um, so just kind of break it down for everyone to understand and see what was going on. Once he was sentenced and it was kind of done and over with, we shifted the focus of the page to be for domestic violence awareness. So now we will post 
uh, news stories just of incidents. Um, we will post informational articles like signs of abuse or why they can't leave or just different awareness, stuff to bring awareness. We have almost 5,000 followers now, which is super exciting. Um, but we've been doing that now for about six years. And like I said, it's myself and Bailey and Tashia's aunt. So their mother's sister, her and I, her name is Nicole. I think everybody struggled with the same thing. We could have helped. You know, my parents sat down with Bailey at one point and said, you know, we, you and those children are our concern in having a head over your guys's, or I'm sorry, a roof over your guys's head. If that means you don't pay us rent because you can't afford it by kicking him out, then you don't pay us rent. We would rather you be alive and safe than stay with him. You know, we gave so many opportunities and chances, and I think that we all really struggled with that. Like, why didn't she just accept our help? It hit a lot of us differently. Our dad really struggled. Um, he's doing incredibly better now. Everybody is. I think everyone... I actually think the Justice for Bailey page has been very therapeutic and helpful for a lot of people because it's a way for us to channel that into helping someone. We can use her story to help someone else. So the kids, they did some family counseling. I actually was living about 800 miles away at the time. So I did counseling there on my own in South Carolina where we lived at the time. So yeah, we all made sure that we were aware of our mental health around the situation and and I think that's what's important. This isn't an easy situation. It's okay to struggle with it. This is sad. It's awful. So many people were affected and are going to be affected the rest of our lives. So we've got to try to make the best of it. We have. I, we can't live the rest of our lives stuck in that mentality. Recognizing that it's okay to struggle, but that we need to address it and, and turn it into something positive. Well, I can say my mom and dad have thrown themselves into raising the two kids. Um, that has, you know, that has been a very big change for them, of course. They were um, empty nesters and actually really loving it. So um, to get thrown these two children and then also children that now have some stuff going on was a big adjustment for them. I know they've thrown themselves into that. But yeah, for for the majority of us really focusing on that justice for Bailey page. We're really trying, Nicole and I are really thinking of ideas of what we want to do next with the page. And we love raising awareness, but we feel like we could be doing more. We would like to be able to set up some type of program that would assist women at the police station who need help or don't understand the order of protection paperwork. They could call and, like, say myself here where I am currently, I could go meet them there, sit down with them, and kind of explain it to them. I worked in the courts for a while and actually processed orders of protection there in Missouri before I left. So I feel like that is one way I could really help. It's something I understand. So I think that would be a good way to start, too. Jenny is doing so much to help others. In the face of adversity, she has really shown what she's capable of. It is amazing how she is selflessly fighting along with Bailey's aunt for changes that will help others. Communities should always be thankful for having people like Jenny where they live, willing to be out there seeking justice for those that need it. Without advocates like her, things won't change. 
Women living through such challenging relationships often struggle with self-esteem and don't always trust the authorities who may have so often not been there to protect and help them in the past. Feeling let down. Having that calm presence and support with them, someone like Jenny, who is able to help them go through all of the papers they will need to process, the changes that will be happening in the immediate days that follow, can be emotionally exhausting. They may not be able to focus during this time of high stress. Having someone there to support them in whatever capacity they may need will be a priceless tool. Some women don't have family or friends they can call. They may have been slowly alienated from them by their controlling partner, or they may be embarrassed to have their loved ones learn what they are living through. Whatever each particular woman's unique situation, having someone there will surely be so helpful. You can visit the Justice for Bailey Facebook page. The link is in our show notes. They are working hard to get their nonprofit status. And by checking their page, you may find a way to help them in their fight. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Well, I really appreciate it. This is really this is really exciting to the true crime lover that I am. So, <laughs> yeah, this that's is awesome. Thank you so much. Well, that's fantastic and you're so welcome and do you take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. I'd like to thank everyone for being here this week. I have been getting such amazing feedback from the families that tell their stories here. This is all thanks to you, our listeners. I greatly appreciate your support and dedication to Mourning the Murdered. While producing the podcast, I need many tools to be able to bring you quality content each week. I now have an affiliate link with Amazon. And by simply clicking on the link before you make your Amazon purchases, you are helping to support my podcast. Once you click on the link, you will be redirected to your Amazon page, ordering as you normally would. There are no extra costs and no fees. Just go to my website, morningthemurderedpodcast.com, and click on the affiliate link. You can also, as always, support the podcast by sending a one-time PayPal contribution or through Patreon, you can donate as little as $1 a month. All of the links can be found on morningthemurderedpodcast.com. So your help is only one click away. I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder, they lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one and let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain, but surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. 
you are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Morning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys.